Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. My name's Tom Fox, by the way, and I'm the interim pastor that gets to serve with this beautiful staff and council and this lovely congregation. Um, today's message is titled, I Deserve It. If you read the blurb that uh, we wrote about it, it'll kind of fill you in a little bit. The reality is that in our culture today, not only the culture of the world around us, but also in the church, it kind of has snuck in here that we think that we deserve a certain amount of you know, God's uh, blessing and upon our lives, and uh, I just want to set things straight. God doesn't owe us anything, but he loves us tremendously. So a little bit about my life, a very little bit, because if I tell you too much, you probably won't let me stay as your interim pastor, but I will tell you this, that when I was about eight years old, um, I thought it would really be cool to steal something, something from the local uh, store. Because we had C7 Christmas lights. If you're under 45, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyhow, a C7 Christmas lights about that bag, that big. But they had C9 Christmas lights. Anybody know what the big ones were like? Okay, you throw the C7s in the air, they hit the ground, they go pop. But you throw the C9 in the air, it hits the ground, pop. So I stole this, unbeknownst to my parents, so I thought, and then we got home, and not only did I steal something, but I was kind of sidestepping the issue, and I basically lied to my dad, which was a mistake, and I, I could tell you all about that, but just know it was a big mistake. So here's the thing about that. Even though I was a young boy, and I could tell you all kinds of stories from when I was eight till I came to know Jesus that would, you'd blush if I told you the stories, so we're not going to go there. But... Uh, Basically, as a young boy, at least in hindsight, I have learned this about myself, and that is that I am not only a thief, but I am a liar. Now, so I don't have to feel all uncovered all by myself up here. Have any of you ever stolen anything? Yes. Okay. Now, those of you that didn't raise your hands since, I know you probably did, so that makes you not only a thief, but you're a liar. So, so welcome to Westside, where all we want to do is make you feel good on Easter Sunday morning. Anyhow. Today I want to talk about the story of a couple of criminals. You know, traditionally on Easter Sunday, there's the glorious story about, you know, the stone being rolled away. And we get to hear, especially in John's gospel, how cool John is because he's so much faster than Peter. And he gets to the tomb first and all that kind of stuff, which we're not going to do today. But I want to talk about two criminals because the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ puts tremendous power in the story of Good Friday about a couple of dudes that were hanging on a tree next to Jesus. And one of them ends up not getting what he deserved, and the other one, not so fortunate. So, since I've already kind of made you a little bit uncomfortable, and I think I'll add this truth as the first point that I would like to make today, because in order for us to understand the gospel, the good news about the good news, we have to own this truth that I'm about to share. We are all guilty 
of breaking God's law or laws? Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, we're on the same team. So the example that I used to share with you about my early or middle childhood stuff, um, I stole, therefore I'm a thief. I lied, therefore I'm a liar. And as I mentioned before, I I could share some very egregious stories with you in my pre-Christ days, and I I don't want you to know them, so I'm not going to share them. So the brother of our Lord James, I'm going to read a brief text out of chapter 2, verse 10. This is what James says, just to help reiterate the truth that we just talked about, that we're all guilty of breaking some or all of God's law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's law. So I think rendered in the vernacular of today, or any preacher would probably seize this opportunity, is that if we lusted one time, if we stole one time, if we cheated one time, according to James, we are guilty as though we've broken the whole law. And the sooner we grasp the reality that the truths of our depravity and I know you came for a word of encouragement and it's coming (laughs) but the encouragement comes on the heels of us acknowledging that we don't have it all going on that there's an element of depravity that we live our lives from at times and then you all know uh, the apostle Paul and his words in Romans 6 verse 23 this is going to really excite us and lift us up Because he tells us the punishment or the consequences of this sinful tendency that we tend to live from. And he says, for the wages of sin is death. I promise you're going to be more encouraged in just a minute. (laughs) Hang in there with me. So understanding this, if we own the fact that we don't measure up, we own the fact that we need help, that we've sinned and we own the fact in reality, we really deserve death. But Jesus is in the business of bringing that which was dead to life, not just making messed up people a little bit better. Amen. That's it. Bring it. <laughs> so the good news, because of God's grace and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is that we do not have to endure that which we actually deserve. If that doesn't make somebody happy, you guys are snoozing. That's good stuff. I want to read the story out of Luke 23, beginning in verse 32. I told you I was going to talk about the story of a couple criminals. So, um, so Jesus is on the cross on Good Friday, and he's hanging between a couple criminals. Verse 32 says this. Two other men, both criminals were also led out with Jesus, or him, to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, Golgotha, I love that word, but it's kind of a scary word, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on his what? Say it with me, right? And the other on his... Very good. So before I read more, I want to kind of set the tone a little bit regarding the, the culture, so to speak, the Roman culture in first century um, Palestine is probably an inappropriate word to use, but kind of Jerusalem and surrounding areas. Um, 
the Roman culture was one of great power and might and authority and, and abuse, and they had countless ways to execute people. They were masters at it. I mean, they were really, really gifted. In fact, this thing, this crucifixion, was the most expensive way to terminate somebody's life. It required four soldiers and one centurion, and it would literally take days in most cases. So, so you got all this money going out every day until the person dies or persons die. And the Romans wanted to be sure, kind of like we, back in the day, you know, they used to have these funky billboards and then they came up with neon signs and now they probably got these LED things that flash. They wanted to make a statement publicly and wanted it to be understood that if you do what they did, you will pay the price as they paid the price. And the price that they paid was pretty gnarly. You know, we don't know what the two criminals did. I know in some translations it says thieves, which would imply they just stole something, which they might have done that in addition to. But I don't think the Romans would have executed them if they just took a C9 light bulb out of the store. <laughs> but it was bad enough to justify the expense. Let me tell you a little bit. You probably are familiar, but they would be stripped naked, baked in the sun for days. They would literally go insane Insane. The birds would peck at them, all their soft tissue locations. This is sounding so much fun. Aren't you glad you came to Easter Sunday? But the point was they wanted to humiliate those who were being crucified and make a clear statement to all passers-by. And the public would come by and they would laugh and they would mock so these two criminals are next to Jesus Christ. They're facing a, this grotesque method of execution. Then we're going to jump to verse 39 in Luke, and this is what the text says. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. What did he say? We're going to get that answer in just a minute, but I think you could read between the lines because I think there was a whole lot more said in those moments than what is actually recorded. This is what the text says. Aren't you the Messiah? Like, come on, dude, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us as well, like right now. Do something if you're all that. But the other criminal, criminal number two, says the criminal number one, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, referring to Jesus, has done nothing wrong. So, gently, humbly, and directly, I would suggest in the eyes of God that all of us here today and any who are listening online are one of two criminals. I promise it's going to get better. We're all one of two criminals. Let's look at their dialogue. Maybe you and I can determine if we're criminal number one or criminal number two. Verse 39 again, let's look back there. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us while you're at it. We don't know a lot about this guy. 
Um, but I think based on the words that he hurls towards Jesus, we can pretty easily say that he was arrogant, prideful, critical, entitled, I deserve better than what's really taking place in my life. Little to no fear of God and a recognition in his own head and his own heart that he needs no saving. That's his mindset or his attitude. It's kind of like, fine, you're the savior guy, make my life better while you're making yours better. Do something for me. And, and this is the thing that breaks my heart um, as we gather a group of this size. I know that there are people here, because I'm one of them, who sometimes approaches his relationship with God like that. Hey, cosmic vending machine, do this for me. Kind of quiet. I must be the only one. But anyhow, this thing that happens where God's kind of our puppet, so to speak, and it's just not true. But some of us approach like, well, I'll pretend that there is a God even though there isn't. Fine, just give me the stuff that I want when I want it and make sure that the life that I live is the life that I had planned out. To me, that sounds like entitlement. And, and again, I, I have to confess before you, as much as I would like to say, oh yeah, those people, <laughs> we're all guilty of this entitlement relationship sometimes with our Savior and our God. He doesn't take any responsibility. One word summary of criminal number one, and it's a churchy word, but it seems to fit, is he was unrepentant. He doesn't own any of his sinfulness, and the definition of unrepentant is shows no regret or remorse for wrongdoing. This guy clearly thought he got the bad end of the deal, and he wasn't responsible for any of it. The second criminal was equally guilty, but he has a completely different attitude and perspective on the circumstances that he finds himself in. Totally different, verses 40 and 41. So he's talking to... Criminal number one, criminal number two is just kind of giving him the what for. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. So we summarize bad guy number two. He's equally as guilty, but look at his words and kind of the spirit with which he might be saying these things. It's like, whoo. I know I blew it. I know I'm here. This is my issue. I made mistakes. And you even see a sense of reverence towards God in his terminology. It's like he sees his brokenness and he becomes humbled and he recognizes his desperation. I just think that's a tremendous example for each and every one of us. And you might say, well, I've been walking with Jesus for four decades. And I say, praise God. We can never leave the posture of reverent humility and deference towards the savior of the world. We can't. So criminal number two, in a word, he's repentant. I know it's kind of churchy, I get it, but he is, he's repentant and he knows he needs mercy and forgiveness and help and he has this sincere regret and remorse for the wrongdoing that he's been involved in. He can do nothing for himself and he's calling on Jesus out of desperation. 
And, and I think we see a, such an important truth here because culturally, and I'm, and I'm not just talking about the them, I'm talking about culture as a whole, even the community of God. Culturally, we have convinced ourselves that we're actually good. Now, you might do good things. You might be generous. You might have a great education. You might be brilliant. You know, all these great things. You might be even handsome or beautiful. That's cool. I wish I were. But anytime our, our notion of goodness gets in the way of recognizing that we actually are depraved, that we actually need a savior, breath by breath, day by day, week by week, it's become a problem. Well, don't you dare call me a sinner. That's the word for our state, our condition. We are sinful people who desperately need a savior. Those of us who have said yes to him, we bask in the amazement of his grace and his mercy and his love. Those of us here today who haven't, you can. Until we recognize we've broken all, if not just one, of God's laws, we will not, we will never recognize our need for a savior if we don't recognize that we are broken, that we've made wrong choices. That sometimes we make life about me or us rather than about Christ and those that he loves. I think when we recognize and own up to the fact that we actually mess up a lot and I deliberately didn't tell you all the things where I messed up because there's an abundance of them and I know that you have an abundance of them. And we're all in a place where we desperate need, need Christ to move in our lives and in our hearts so that we might glorify him wherever he would place us, at work or at school or wherever we find ourselves to be. And, and I want to be, be more like criminal number two. That's, that's the person I want to be. And it blows me away that Jesus is on a cross between these two guys as the story unfolds. And both were equally guilty. Both were in equal proximity to Christ because they carry on this dialogue. Both were equally deserving of death. Both most likely had seen and heard the happenings of the last 24 to 48 hours the fateful hours. Both were suffering severely. Both were dying and needed a savior. Both had equal opportunity. One missed it and one didn't. Amen. That's incredible to me. But it also grieves my soul. It really, really does. Because the same is true on an Easter morning Sunday. Sing the same songs if we feel like singing. Um, enjoy the same prayer time. Woof down the same donuts. Life is good. And the criminal number one, which is my natural tendency, is saying, this is stupid. What's with all this like churchy stuff? Now, if you're here and you're exploring the things of God 
And that just like Gianna said, we are so grateful you're here. We're all in the same boat battling between this criminal number one and criminal number two. We say, what's the point? I'm good enough. And very nearby in the same worship service, maybe a chair or two away or a couple of aisles away, someone sings the same songs in their mind. They're going, whoa, I have really messed up in this life. I am lost. I'm confused. I know that there's a God now because I've heard about him and I sense him in my spirit and in my heart. I know there's a God and I know that I am not him. There's this void, but the spirit of God is moving. And those who are here today that respond to today's message or the presence of almighty God in our midst, like criminal number two, it's crazy what God's gonna do in your life. It's insane. He will forgive you. You will be put in his family. You will have eternal life. But this just isn't about having eternal life. This is about living a life today eternally with a commitment to lay our lives down for him. Here's the reality about the second criminal, every bit as much as it was about criminal number one. He deserved death. But Jesus gave him life. Can you picture that scene? And the only reason that scene, that scenario has power is because of what we celebrate today. He's risen. He's alive. I'm fired up. Let's go. <laughs> I have no idea where I am in my notes. <laughs> Thank you. But the way Christ forgives this guy is such a powerful picture to me. And hearing this story, I don't know how any of us, whether we are exploring the things of God or we've walked with God for, I don't know how we don't draw closer to him. This is absolutely mind-boggling, amazing. We continue reading. I gotta talk faster. Okay, we continue reading. So remember, you know, uh, number two, rebuke number one. And, and this is the exchange. So right after this, uh, kind of moment of admission or, or repentance on the part of criminal number two. You know, he chews out criminal number one. And then he turns to Jesus. And, and don't miss this, verse 42. Then he said, this is criminal number two. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Let me read that again. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This guy did not have the time to pray for 20 minutes some flowery, elaborate, God-manipulating prayer. It was like, I'm going to die. I need a savior. It's fantastic. And then what does Jesus say to him? says, truly, I tell you, today 
you will be with me in paradise. Well, wait, I thought you had to go to church like all the time. I thought you had to have this level of education. I thought you had to be a family man or a single person. I mean, I thought you had to do all the, this guy's humble honesty ushered in eternity for him and who knows how many others. I mean, he couldn't any more than we can earn God's grace. Hello, I said we cannot earn God's grace. It is a gift. Thank you for waking up. That was wonderful. And it's received by faith alone. We're not made right with God because we're good enough or we go to church or we work hard or we're nice or we're religious people or by even going on a missions trip. So if you're going on a missions trip and you think that's going to make you right with God, you're mistaken. That's not what happens. Our right standing with God is by his grace alone. Aren't you thankful that he revealed to us that we needed a savior like he did to criminal number two? We got a room full of criminals. This is great. I mean, all he could do was trust in in the grace of the savior of the world. And I'm so grateful for that. And let me tell you why. Because long before I was a pastor, I was a sinner. In fact, I still am And I need the redemptive power of Jesus in my life to not be a worse sinner than I actually am now. But Jesus gave me life. And we don't have eternal life because we're good. I don't know if you've ever looked at the list of awesomeness that you've done in your life. I've tried to make one for myself. It's not very impressive. It's not very impressive at all. We don't have eternal life because we're good. We have eternal life because God is good. Amen? God is so good. Let me tell you how good he is. There's nothing you could do to make him love you more than he does today. Not a thing. And there's no sin that you may be involved in or have been involved in that's going to cause him to love you less. Not going to happen. Think about the Savior's love for you, the Son of God. Instead of sitting on a throne in tremendous splendor, he's hanging on a rough-hewn tree. Instead of wearing like a golden crown of opulence, he wears a crown of thorns that put in so much pain into his body and he dispenses so much blood I mean, think about that. That's Instead of being surrounded by servants, we see Jesus in the final hours, as it were, of his life, surrounded by thieves and criminals. You see, Jesus will do absolutely anything to apprehend any people who call on his name. He was innocent. And in the midst of horrendous suffering, Jesus declares, and I love these words, it is finished. Say that with me. It is finished. Woo! Pretty soon I'm going to get excited. (laughs) 
Did I mention earlier that I lost my place? Well, I just did it again. Any? Okay. But here's the cool thing. I think about Good Friday, but it's only cool because of Easter, because the tomb is empty. But this is such a neat thing. You see, when, when everybody thought it was over, the great story of redemption had just begun. We're living in that story today. We don't deserve that either. He is so good to us. Thank you, Lord. This day, the stone was rolled away. The tomb was empty. It's still empty. Jesus has risen from the dead. He is alive. And that gives so much power to the final verse that I'll read this morning. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is why we celebrate today. Amen? Before we pray, or as we pray, I'm going to invite the worship team to return. We have a couple of people who are going to be over here by the prayer banner, and uh, we're going to sing a little bit, and I'm going to challenge you with some uh, introspection about the truths we declared today. Because some of you here might very well have said, yeah, I, I was pretty passionate about Jesus, you know, way back when. Today's your day to re-engage with the Savior of the world. Well, you know, he really didn't make my life turn out like I wanted him to. He, he doesn't exist for us. We exist to glorify and to honor and to bless his holy name. Some of you might need to return to the Savior of the world. Some of you today might, in all honesty, and I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but you might, in all honesty, say, you know what? I'm pretty sure I'm criminal number one. I'm sitting here going, when is this dude going to be done so I can get another donut on the way out before they're gone? Others of you might be hungering. Yeah, I know today's my day. I know there is a God and I know that I am not him. I have done wrong. And the solution for my life journey is placing my faith and my trust and my confidence in Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me, please? As the uh, prayer team gets in place, I know our worship team is ready to roll. Um, it would be horribly remiss to not give an opportunity to those of you who, are, who feel estranged or distanced from Almighty God. Maybe those of you, this is the first time you've really ever heard about the goodness of God and the grace of the Savior and that in an instant, we can go from being separated from God to being part of his family. Maybe that's you today. This is a, a, a private time. This is why I asked you to 
bow your heads and to close your eyes. If there's anyone, and I know there are many, here today who you've distanced, you've allowed yourself to drift away from God, I want to pray for you. Please raise your hands. Just lift them up right now. Heavenward, God bless you. Hold them high. The Lord bless you. There's no shame. Thank you for your honesty and your vulnerability. You can put your hands down. Are there others here today that would say, you know what? I want God's grace in my life. I am guilty of wrongdoing. Is that what you're saying? You want to give your life fully over to the Lord Jesus Christ? It is finished, brother. You're part of his family. Are there any others that would raise your hand with this fellow? God bless you. He loves you. He cares for you. Your name is forever written upon the Lamb's book of life. He will use you for his purposes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the joyous celebration, this community called Westside, for the privilege you've granted me of being a part of this community for a short while. God, the greatest thing in all the world is when folks who are estranged from you return into relationship come into relationship for the very first time we together as a collective community and family give you thanks for how faithful you are to your holy word we love you we worship you we bless your name forever amen